Welcome to Talking Tuesdays. I am your host, Fancy Quant, and today we are going to be talking about the grass that is greener on the other side here from the practitioner's perspective here. So I've been working in the industry now, I think for man, seven, eight years, something like that. Uh, I've had a whole other career, as we've seen in season two here in manufacturing and accounting, corporate finance, marketing, analytics. And then I left the business side and came into quantitative finance. Uh, but to do that, you need a graduate degree. So I have a two-year master's, and I often start looking back from this practitioner side thinking, you know, would it be better to go back to academia? So I've thought about getting a PhD on many occasions. I didn't really realize I wanted a PhD until after I had graduated or it was like a year into my master's program. And at that point, I'm thinking, I don't want to add on another five to seven years and then you also have this really challenging question of what sort of PhD do you want to get, right? Do you want a finance PhD, an economics PhD? Uh, quantitative finance, there aren't really that many PhDs in it. And then there's also, right, statistics, mathematics, all kinds of other fields you could potentially go into and get a degree in. And then you start wondering, you know, what university should I go to? And of course, the degree you get would help determine, you know, basically where you went. So, you know, not every school has a great economics, math, stats, finance, uh, perhaps quantitative finance program all put together into one. So you kind of end up in this, I don't know, quandary of like, what do you do here? But I start looking back now, right? And I work a lot with universities. And when I say I work a lot with them, I work with a variety of universities, typically on very short term kind of basis, right? I reach out to them, I'm gathering information for uh, program reviews, or it's like they want me to come to a presentation. Um, again, working with students, for example, as well, I count this as working with universities because you're working with college students or graduate students here. And so you get kind of this interaction with them and you get very different perspectives. And it starts coming back up to, you know, would it just be better to actually go back to academia? I really love to teach. And a lot of this kind of started stirring, I think, man, a few years into my professional career here, right? I miss studying. I miss spending time doing that. You will never get enough time to study uh, as a professional. I can just tell you that. Uh, if you work in quantitative research per se, you'll get more time, but there's also a lot of politics and corporate kind of runarounds and meetings and things that you don't really want to do that don't really add a lot of value, but you're required to do them. And so this kind of takes away from this focus that you have of basically doing teaching and research. And so a few years back, I actually went back to Ann Arbor, Michigan. So where the University of Michigan is, my wife and I decided to go back. We took a vacation. Um, again, I stopped and talked to one of the programs there at the University of Michigan as well, did a presentation. But there's this magical feel, at least for me, in coming from a large research institution like the University of Michigan. Um, just setting foot on campus, seeing all of these, you know, individuals, students, even academic professors, all excited and all there for one purpose and one meaning, right? We're all working towards the same goal of education. Now, when you start looking at students, right, of course, we're all working at different levels of education. We're all looking at different degrees of education. And yet we all have this centralized purpose though, right? We, we know the where the library's at. We know where the best coffee's at on campus. We know all these different you know, aspects and we're all kind of going through a similar process and a similar emotion. Uh, for undergrads as well, right? You're coming into being an adult. 
And it's just kind of this exciting and fun time. It's fun to like make, I don't know, to help students learn and to be creative and to learn things they've never seen. And so when I went back to the, to Ann Arbor and the University of Michigan, um, I started off on North Campus. So University of Michigan is divided basically into three campuses. You have North Campus, Central Campus, and Southern Campus. Uh, Southern Campus is like the sports section. So, you know, basketball stadium, football stadium. Uh, there's a big, massive intramural gym down there. Anyways, that's not really for learning. That's for sports and athletics and whatnot. And then Central Campus is where like the majority of students are going to be. And the North Campus is going to be uh, engineering and computer science. And so I used to live up on North Campus. Even when I go back to visit now in Michigan, I actually stop uh, and park on the north side and then I actually go through North Campus. I just love North Campus. It's very quiet. It's very calm. Uh, the buildings they have, the students are very focused. It's very academic f- focused in Michigan, uh, which I can say coming from another state school, it just has a different feel and a different vibe. And going through the campus, it's remodeled a bit. The landscaping has changed, but it has that same kind of, I don't know, magical feeling of like, so describe North Campus to you a little bit here. Uh, There are grass and there are a lot of trees in Michigan. There are so many trees, often you can't see out where you're from. So I'm from the West Coast. Uh, There's mountains and you can see the mountains and you kind of figure out where you're at. Michigan, it's really lush and green. And up on North Campus, you'll occasionally see a few deer. There was like a turkey I saw up there one year. Um, And then you have kind of nested in all these trees. You have student housing and apartments for graduates and undergraduates. And then as you kind of transcend onto the Northern Campus, uh, Northern Campus has this massive library, which for me is kind of the center core of North Campus, uh, which is Duderstad. And the library itself is outdated. It reminds me of like the 80s and 90s. And for me, I really enjoy that. It kind of brings back a nostalgic, um, true computer science sense of coming from actual computer science to learning things from the ground up. Not all this flashy hype you know, things that kind of go on today with computer science, what we think of technology, but being on campus is just really fun and exciting. And then as I went back onto central campus, this is where it's noisier, it's bustly. Uh, There's the Diag, which is kind of the big area where everyone kind of meets in the center of central campus. And there's all these buildings around there. And I just remember going through a lot of these buildings. It's like they're really nice structures. Um, Again, all these students carrying backpacks and notebooks and textbooks. And I stopped into the store there and actually looked at, you know, some textbooks and things they had. Of course, being a quant, I'm always looking for textbooks. And anyway, so I went through all of this and then we went down to Ross, which is on the southern side of Central Campus, and that's the business school. Um, Again, Ross is a whole other spectrum within academic realm in itself. But for me, it's kind of like this reminiscing of going back and really being excited about it. And it kind of draws me in of really focusing on the academic focus here. But there's really negative sides to academics. And I've started kind of seeing this more so as I've worked with a lot of universities across a wide spectrum of schools. And part of this is going to be the fact that when I think of academics, I think of teaching, uh, being a quant, for example, I always feel like there's so many more layers we need to teach. And I need to teach at, you know, let's say level 100. And so I'm always trying to get as far forward as possible and teach as high as possible. And yet I sat down with a few academic professors over the last six months here that I've been kind of off of YouTube. Uh, I've been kind of just having side conversations with just different people. It's been kind of fun not being on camera for some time. But 
I went and talked to them and I started realizing, right, one of the hardest things to teach is undergrads. I didn't really think of this, right? You start thinking like, well, of course they know it, you know, they know calculus, they know linear regression, they know the basic stats, and we can dive in uh, right into regression, right? We don't even need to go through high hypothesis testing and all that. And as I'm talking to these individuals, they're starting to tell me, you know, Dimitri, they don't know any of this. You have to go through this from the ground up. And these are really challenging classes to teach. And I was like, okay, I'm just starting to understand this, right? And thinking about, you know, being an undergrad. Oh man, it's been, it's been so many years since I've been an undergrad. And thinking about that and then thinking, okay, right. These are high school students coming fresh out uh, into the university realm. So this would be a really big challenge to teach on this side. Uh, then talking to them more so about, you know, there are also the fact that when you teach these, often a lot of these students aren't your actual majors. So let's say you're teaching, I don't know, finance or something, or even stats, and you end up having a wide mix of students. Let's say you're teaching stats here, right? You might have students that are coming from the science background of biology and chemistry, and maybe you have geologists in there, and maybe you're going to have, you know, English majors that for some reason were required to take it or opted to take it. And then you have business students from finance and marketing and accounting and all that. And you have anthropology and you have, you know, um, all the literature majors and all this. And they're all taking a stats class as an undergrad. And the thing is, you have to teach this to everybody at a reasonable level. And you're hoping to get value out of this and actually add something to it. But a lot of them aren't just going to come to class. And I start to remember like, oh yeah, I forgot, right? When I was an undergrad, I think I missed a handful of days, maybe five days my whole four years. Um, I do remember going to class though and there was tons and tons of students who just never showed up, right? You're paying money to be here. You just want the certificate. You don't even care about the academics. You don't care about the learning portion. And yet you're wasting time and money. And I remember thinking as an academic, right? As a professor here, or even like a graduate student teacher, uh, this would be extremely challenging. So it's something I'm starting to think about. Okay, this is something that could be challenging. And then coming back to the issue that you have this divide between academia and the practitioner's kind of realm here. So teaching at a graduate level is completely different because I assume you already have the base knowledge. I can easily dive in and teach you. But at the same time, there's going to be a divide and there continues to be this weird divide between the industry and academia, especially in the sense of quantitative finance. Uh, so this is kind of the problem in a nutshell, which is academia has really nice, pretty data. They don't have access to a lot of really real world, gnarly, dirty data that has all kinds of nuances and things that break every statistical test you're going to throw at it. It just nothing fits in half the time, right? You're just struggling to really cope with this. And academia doesn't really get this. They go, okay, in a perfect world where everything is built based on you know, X, Y, and Z, and we've cleaned and processed, and we're not actually going to use this model for anything that's going to be design-focused, uh, this is how you do things. And they learn how to do things, and they do the very bare minimum basics, and they go through these textbooks, and often professors just don't care about teaching, which is quite unfortunate to remember that as well. And so they just kind of regurgitate what's in the textbook. They don't think about the process of how they all tie together. Now, in the practitioner's world, you have to actually understand how these work. And the unfortunate part a lot of times is practitioners give up. They go, well, it's too challenging. It's too much, I don't know, too much intellectual thought. Uh, I can spend months again on one problem. Managers get upset, for example. But you spend a lot of time on a problem trying to actually solve it. And yet, a lot of times in the industry, 
things don't work out quite as well as they did in academia. And so what ends up happening is they just say, well, all these tests that we learned in academia and all these things that we knew, we just don't care about them. We're going to throw them out the window. And yeah, sure, we're violating a bunch of assumptions and whatever, but it's, it's, it's going to work. And then they go out and they use this model and they pretend like everything works. And of course it fails and doesn't work very well. And so they just keep rebuilding models faster and faster and faster. And then of course in finance, when you have, you know, crises occur like 2007, 2008, we blame the models and we throw our hands in there and say, well, it just wasn't, wasn't feasible, right? Nothing we can do about it. And so there's this weird balancing act between the two where it's like, Data is so proprietary from the industry that the academics can't get it or don't get it, um, which I completely understand. And then on the other side, right, academics see things so simply because their data is so simple that they make nice pretty charts and things work quite well, but often they don't struggle with really challenging problems. And so on the professional side as well, right, it's frustrating on my end because I want to follow more of the academic rigor. And when you do this, people in the industry get upset because it's too challenging and it's too hard. And we have a massive hiring, basically deficiency, an education deficiency in the industry. And yet there's thousands and thousands of students graduating every year, but none of them are qualified to do the work. And so you kind of come back to this issue with, I would love to go back into academia to teach because teaching in academia as an actual industry practitioner and someone who's been in academia as a student you can balance that and try to get a really good understanding of the problems and the data and the modeling. But again, you still struggle to get some of that nitty gritty data here. So stay with us. We'll be right back. If you're an engineer or a scientist, you love Formula One, you love cycling, you love learning about how new technologies are changing the world around us, then I thought you may want to listen into my new podcast, the Neil Ashton Podcast. We talk to leading engineers and scientists from around the world, hear about their life stories, hear about new technologies, and hopefully educate you and give you a better sense of how key things like machine learning, artificial intelligence, supercomputing are changing the world around us. If that sounds like it's something you might like, you should come and have a listen. Again, it's, for me, it's very challenging to get the two halves to somewhat work together. And I think this is kind of my paradigm and my struggle here. And of course, there's really obvious things that are challenges as well. Uh, one of these just being compensation, right? You make really good money in the industry. Uh, and then if you go back to academia, you take a pay cut. Uh, for, many of you that, for many of you that don't know this, the industry hates academia and academia hates the industry. That's just how it is. Uh, people say I'm lying and making things up. And yet when you start to look at industry practitioners, for example, you cannot publish actual solid research and new findings in academic journals because you're not an academic. That's the only reason for it. And then the other flip side to a lot of this is that the academics get upset and they're offended that they don't want the practitioners coming in and kind of basically taking some of their job. And so there's some feuding going on and a lot of universities don't like to bring them in. Uh, it creates a lot of problems and there are a lot of politics on the industry side, but there are a lot of politics and nonsense going on on the academic side, which is also what concerns me um, with ever going back to academia. And part of this comes, so I think my dream position here just to state this would be just a visiting professor, right? I don't need to be tenured. There's a lot of nonsense that goes with this. There's a lot of pressure to publish, for example, multiple papers. Uh, people are kind of politically fighting to get position within your department. Um, and this leads me to talk about a lot of the nonsense that goes around the department. So 
I'm not happy with the financial engineering, computational finance, and all these different masters out there. And the reason for this is what a lot of students don't realize is the universities typically, so I'm gonna say typically here, but I would say at least half of them, maybe more, uh, aren't really there to educate you. They're there to make more money and to figure out how to fund their PhDs often. So this is quite sad, but I've talked to different professors at different universities. I've been in involvement. I've seen actual professors publish papers explaining why, for example, starting a master's in XYZ, I won't fill it in here to give it away, but creating these sorts of masters uh, is a great way to generate funds and revenue and you know, talking about how much money the university was making off of it, and then talking about how they can use all this funding to fund their PhD programs and do more research. And then of course they get more money because they have more funding. Um, it's a money-making machine and so they're doing it for the wrong reasons. Uh, again, for a lot of these top programs in quant finance, you need to have industry practitioners. There are not very many good industry practitioners out there that can teach and no actual detailed problems. So a lot of people in the industry as well they kind of go through the motions, they give up as I've mentioned, they just do the simplest path possible, they don't follow the academic rigor, and then again, they're gonna be a terrible teacher because now they're teaching the opposite of what you're teaching in academia and what's being taught in academia is actually correct. But again, real world data is challenging and so you have this balancing act that needs to happen. Again, this would be an amazing class of going through statistical problems and I don't know, maybe I'll create an online course on the most common stupidities I see, how to solve them, why to solve them, those sorts of things. And I'll have to make up data, of course, because I can't use real world data. Uh, but a lot of these programs, for me, just are very unethical in the sense that they're trying to generate funds for the purpose of generating funds and profit. Uh, I don't like seeing either when you take programs, whether it's quant finance or data science or something else, where they've hodgepodge together a bunch of classes from different departments just to make a new degree. So say you want to create a financial engineering degree, you don't really want to hire new professors, you don't want to create a new department really, but you're going to kind of hodgepodge a program. Uh, you have professors in the business school and the engineering school, for example, and they kind of share roles and responsibilities and they create this new program. And then you take a few finance classes like capital markets, fixed income from the finance program, and you put it in, and then you go to the math program and you say, okay, we're gonna take uh, stochastic calculus and we're gonna take, I don't know, numerical methods, and we're gonna kind of apply them to finance, maybe, maybe not. We're gonna kind of throw those in there, and then we're gonna go to the stats department, we're gonna pick up some stats classes, we're gonna pick up a few data science classes, and we're gonna throw them all together and create a program. So people often ask, well, what's the problem with this? Well, the issue is it's never cohesive. It doesn't work together well. Uh, Again, the people running the program, the directors from the business schools, engineering schools, the math departments, the stats departments, right? They don't really work well together and they don't have an incentive to make the program work. And again, right, master students are generating money and so they start bringing in all these students and then of course, what does the focus become? This focus doesn't become how do I best help this student, right? Or who is my student body in defining who you're targeting, which most of them don't do, which I think is complete nonsense, right? It's impossible to teach a finance student, a math student, a stats student, a physics student, I don't know, an accounting student, I don't know, English student, bringing all these students in from all these different backgrounds and teaching them something. It's easier to target like one grouping of students, like, okay, we're gonna take engineers, and we're gonna turn engineers into quants. Um, again, you need to think about this from the perspective of how do you best help the students. And a lot of these programs that I'm mentioning here don't really do that. Uh, they're looking to make money off of the student for the sake of making money. 
Often there are other incentives, as I have mentioned, like funding the PhD students, or perhaps maybe you'll get a big promotion, you'll be, become the dean of your different area. Um, again, these sorts of things play into an academic career. And so it's important to understand this and realize this because there's not really a lot of people that go into academic careers a lot of times for the sake of loving to teach. Uh, again, a lot of it comes down to doing research. And I've mentioned this, I absolutely love doing research. I like, would like to spend more time doing it. I just don't have the time as an industry practitioner. And that's part of that kind of draw here. And so I hope you guys are getting kind of these angles and takeaways of like, it's amazing to be in academia because you can focus on your problems. You can dive deep on one very specific area. Uh, you can become an expert on it, for example, and do research. But there's also going to be politics and things playing into this, like running programs and you know getting tenured. So a lot of academics want to become tenured. And then you also have this downside of you can't really pick and choose where you go and teach at a university. Often you apply to so many, you get stuck going to one area. Um, if you were able to teach at the University of Michigan, it'd be an amazing dream of mine to be able to teach there. But often that's not what's going to happen. You end up being kind of shuffled into, you know, I don't know, some back school in some other state, let's say like, I don't know, Arkansas or Oklahoma or I don't know, California or somewhere. And so you don't really get to pick and choose where you live on this side. Uh, there's also this big issue, which always kind of bugs me, of the difference between academia and the industry, as we've mentioned, right, where it's like they don't really align they don't have the right data. It's kind of an asymmetric information problem here where one side has more information than the other. And then of course, they're coming at it from different angles and people start giving up and there's just this massive I don't know, issue of talent and education and stuff going on in the industry. And so when you try to come at it from a perspective of mine where it's like, I want to sit in the middle somewhere and bridge the gaps and help create an amazing program for students to learn the academics and the professional side all together into one cohesive, thought process, understanding why you might deviate, why you might not deviate, and all those different sorts of issues you have, uh, you're stuck with no camp, right? You're not going to get academic support because you're not really an academic. The industry is going to hate you because you're someone on the industry's side. And so it's very, very challenging to balance that line between the two halves and add the value here. Uh, but again, there's always kind of like, I don't know what you'd call it here, but there's somewhat of this calling to me of like, I would love to go back. I would love to be involved more with universities. I would like to be on campus and teaching and involved with the students there somewhat. Uh, again, quality of universities varies vastly. So not every education is the same. And I know students don't like when I say this, but as someone who's gone to campuses as a visiting presenter, uh, as somebody who's went to like a generic state school, all the way up to like a really, what they call public Ivy. So University of Michigan is a top rated state school. Um, again, I've been on campuses of private schools as well. Uh, there's a big range in what you really get in the education, the experience is really provided to you. And because of that, uh, there's just a lot of differences in quality here. And being able to teach on a quality campus and a quality program and really help drive success uh, and teach, right? And help all those students. I'd love to see more students getting a better education and becoming more prepared for the industry. But those are my thoughts kind of on the academic side here. This is somewhat of a, I don't know, an issue I see with a lot of practitioners, especially when you get a PhD and then you go into the industry, you start to wonder, should you leave the industry and go back to academia? Yes, there are downsides to it. Yes, there are ethical concerns with programs and structures and classes and all that. Uh, but again, it could be a little more intellectual, a little more stimulating. 
Uh, the industry is exciting and complex, but you have a lot of other parts that are just not on that quant realm. I'd say they're not academics at all. They're more or less fun and frilly extroverted people uh, who care more about making money than they do about actually doing their job. So anyways, those are my two cents. Thanks for listening and I'll see you guys next time.